Well, what a morning this is, man. I'm so thankful. Uh, I hope everybody's having a good good day. We, you know, we've been going through the, the attributes of God, um, something that there's no possible way we could could exhaust. And this morning we're we're going to uh, we're going to look at the sovereignty of God, at least part of it. Um, and I do want to pray before I get started because I'm I'm feeling very uh, very inadequate this morning. You know you you sit there and you you know now I'm not I don't type my notes. I do it the way uh, Steve Lawson says to do it. I handwrite them. Got little notes and things all over my page. Trust me, you could never use these notes and do anything with them. Um, but it's like I'm just got my tongue sticking out and scribbling as hard as I can, and I get through it, and I'm like, that's it? That's all that I did? <laughs> so with that being said, I want to pray. Father, this morning, God, we just want to come before you and um, and thank you, God, for the day. Lord, I stand in need of, of grace this morning. God, give me the ability to proclaim this truth about you, Lord, in a way, God, that would exalt and, and magnify you. I just thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for our church. God, help us, Lord, that our minds would be opened to just to, to maybe understand in a way that a little bit deeper than we ever have. God, let these truths cause us to magnify you, to worship you, to praise, to adore you, God, to give all glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read one of the greatest praises to the sovereignty of God that I've, that I've ever read. And it comes out of the book of Daniel. And you don't got to turn there because we will be there later in the message. But this comes from a, a, a pagan king. And he says this. He said, At the end of the days, I... Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's probably one of the greatest things ever written, ever pinned down concerning God and, and the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, I, have you ever just thought about all the different attributes, you know, as we go through them and all this? Well, I don't know if this is a true statement, but R.C. Sproul said that of all of the attributes of God, his sovereignty is his favorite one. Now, I don't really know that that's a true statement, but when you think about sovereignty, if, if we could attain to any attribute, I'm sure that most of us, that would probably be our favorite one. That we would be sovereign over everyone and everything. And that just probably comes from our fallen nature. But so what does sovereign actually mean? Well, it, sovereign comes from the Latin prefix super, which means over or above. Now, 
when you're when you're teaching on the attributes of God, the last one that that I taught on was the omnipotence of God. And and you'll have to uh, forgive me at the start of the sermon last time. I came out of the gates and I just kind of face planted. I I was on the wrong page three different times. And I think I actually said either the omniscience of God or the omnipresence is that God is all-powerful. And I heard that Julian Darnell looked at somebody and said, that's not what that means. He's absolutely right. I said the wrong word, gave a definition to the right word I was trying to get to. But what is the difference between omnipotence and sovereignty? God is all-powerful, but sovereign is this. It is God's exercise of his rule over his kingdom. Omnipotence is having all the power, but the sovereignty of God is his exercise of that rule over his kingdom. God is sovereign over all his creation. There's not one thing in all of his creation that is not under the sovereign rule of God. From the largest of planets to the smallest of particles, God is the sovereign ruler, creator, and sustainer. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says out of his book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. And he said, the reasons are these. He said, were there even one datum of knowledge, however small, unknown to God, his rule would break down at that point. To be Lord over all the creation, he must possess all knowledge. And were God lacking in one infinitesimal modicum of power, that lack would end his reign and undo his kingdom. That one stray atom of power would belong to someone else, and God would be limited, a limited ruler and hence not sovereign. That's a lot of big words there, and you can obviously tell that A.W. Tozer uses words that I don't know. I had to look some of those up. But here's what he's saying. In order for God to be sovereign, he must know everything. He must have all knowledge, and he must have all power. He must have those things. Now, some of the thoughts that we have, some of the thoughts that I have is this. You know, I think of this. I think any serious Christian... If you were to ask them about the sovereignty of God, they would say that they believe in God's sovereignty. But after talking with many of those same people, they seem to live their life as if God's sovereignty is under the sovereign rule of how they want to let God be sovereign. Is that too wordy? I was actually visiting with a pastor, a former pastor here in Ada, and we got to talking on this. Now, to be fair, he was a pastor of a free will Baptist church. And we will get into those subjects in another message. But this is what he told me. He says, I absolutely believe that in the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over everything. That was a pretty emphatic statement, right? And then he says, but... I reserve the right to choose to walk away from God if I so desire to. Now, I want to ask you something. Is that what sovereign means? No, it is not. R.C. Sproul said, 
Most Christians will salute the sovereignty of God, but they believe in the sovereignty of man. Now, there's a lot that I, you know, your mind might be really turning right now, thinking on some of these things. And uh, so here's what I want to do. There's three areas I really want to look at in the sovereignty of God. Now, I say that because within each of these areas, we could go so wide and we could go so deep and so far. To be quite honest, somebody could. I probably could not. But I want to look at, at three things, and that is this. I want to look at God's sovereignty in his creation, his sovereignty over kingdoms slash nations, rulers, and then thirdly, I want to look at God's sovereignty over salvation. Now, before you get too excited, I know that a lot of you are really would like to hear what I'm going to say about God's sovereignty over salvation. Well, that's to be continued. That's not going to be in this message today, so you can all take a deep breath and relax. But let's look at some of the things that God, in his creation, that God is sovereign over, okay? God is sovereign over time. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. God is sovereign over time. In Genesis 1-1, it says this. It says, in the beginning, God. And what did God do? God created the heavens and the earth, didn't he? But what we see right there is that when it says, in the beginning, God, who is ruler over everything, everyone, everybody, all things, he is sovereign God created time. Have you ever just tried to wrap your mind about around when you say, well, how long was God here before time? I mean, I've heard that question. I've probably asked that question. Church, we really don't have the words and the phrases to put together sometimes to even ask the right question. When you talk about God being everlasting to everlasting, he has no beginning. He has no end. You see, God began time, and in Joshua 10, 12 through 14, and this is the way I view this, God stopped time. It says this, the sun stood still, the moon stopped, and he says, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven for about a whole day. Can you imagine a day like that? Joshua and them were trying to to pursue the enemies. And God stopped. He stopped the sun. He stopped the moon. It just stopped. Now, now some people could argue and say, well, did God really stop time or did he just stop the sun and the moon? Well, I don't know. But I can tell you this, if you'd have had a watch, your your time would have been off forever. I think your watch would have stopped when the sun stopped moving, okay, I just kind of think that's the way it was. And, and listen to this. And the, a third point on this is that in Second Kings 20, verses 8 through 11, he's talking with Hezekiah. Now, God has already told Hezekiah, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Yeah, God's sovereign over those things too. But he says, he asked him for a sign that he would know that this was going to come to pass. And, and basically, it was like kind of like a sundial and he was, God, God posed the question to him, would you want me to take the sundial and move it forward 10 degrees or 10 steps or move it back? And he says, well, it would be kind of easy to go forward possibly, but if you move it back, that's like impossible. And he says, move it back. And God backed up the shadow on the steps 
10 degrees, which if I understand right, was about 20 minutes. You see, not only did God create it, God stopped it, God backed it up, and one day God's going to end time as we know it now. We're, we're, go- we're not going to be confined. I don't know how, what heaven's going to be like and how, you know, I don't know how, you, how God measures things there, but it's just not going to be like it is right now. And so we see that in God's creation, God, God's sovereign over time. God's also sovereign over what we might call nature, which that's really not the best word to use because when we talk about nature, it seems like we're kind of referring to something that is outside of God. And that's, but, but just for the sake of today that we can understand it, um, just things that God was sovereign over, um, I think I'm going to go over and turn to Genesis chapter 7. I've got this written down, but I think I would rather actually just read it. In Genesis 7, I want to read this to you. In verses 11 and 12, it says this. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, he says, All of the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Now, church, when you go back in the book of Genesis, one thing you will not find there is that this is the first time it's recorded that it rained upon the face of the earth. Now, when God put Adam in the garden, it says that a mist would come up, and that's how everything was watered. But now, people have argued and said, well, it just doesn't say it, but it did. Well, I don't know about that. I, I tend to think that it had never rained upon the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, God causes this to happen. And he's going to destroy the world. And then once it rained upon the earth for that long, in verses 8, 1, he says this. I mean, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, But God remembered Noah. Now, this is after the flood. The waters are still upon the face of the earth. And it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. God is sovereign over the rain. God is sovereign over the wind. Have you ever just been, I mean, just think about the wind for a moment. You don't think much about it until... A massive wind comes in. And I mean, all of a sudden, the adrenaline gets going. The fear starts coming in. It's incredible just what wind can do. And in Oklahoma, we know about wind in the sense of a tornado. Just a tornado in itself is amazing. But when you hear about tornadoes that are two, three miles wide, and God is sovereign over that. In Jonah 1, chapter, or verse, chapter 1, verse 4, Jonah decides to run from the presence of the Lord. He's going to flee to Tarshish, I believe. He's not going to go to Nineveh, and he's not going to preach what God has told him to preach. So he flees from the Lord, and it says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It caused a storm to follow after Jonah. Now, church, I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people out there that are going to tell you things like, well, that was just, that was just a, a way of speaking. God didn't really just hurl us a wind or a, a storm after him. 
It's just a, you know, it's just like poetic speaking. Well, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, it's cool to hear that, you know, but I'm going to tell you that's exactly what happened. God sent a wind. He sent a storm after Jonah to get Jonah's attention. In Mark chapter 4, verses 34 through 41... Listen to what this says. 35 through 41. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus, he said, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, and just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And it says, And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now listen to that. He, he awoke. It says in verse 39, He awoke. He rebuked the wind. He said to the, the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now you could say, well, was that storm out of God's control? No, that storm was absolutely in God's control. God used that storm to demonstrate that He's sovereign over that. He was demonstrating to His disciples that I am Lord over this. I want you to know something you may not ever find yourself on a boat in a storm where you think you're about to die. But I will tell you this. When we're talking about storms, we're talking about winds and things like that. Spiritually speaking, you could be in storms in your life. You could be like there. I want you to know something. If you're in a storm, you're going through a storm in life. Listen to me. And, 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 and you think, I don't know how to... Listen, the problem, what makes us so afraid in these times of storm, just like these fishermen here who knew how to sell a vessel on the sea. But guess what? They did not have control. When we lose control, we get fearful. I want you to know something. If you're going through a storm... The best place for you to be in the midst of the storm is in the boat that Jesus is sleeping on. If you're right where God wants you to be, it may be right in that storm. And if you're there, then you are with the sovereign Lord over the universe. And just as soon as that storm started, just as quickly can he say, peace be still, and you're no longer in that storm. In Matthew 14, I didn't get to write all these down because I just couldn't write that much. In Matthew 14, 22 through 33, I don't know if I'll read all of that. But he says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray and when evening came, he was there alone. Now, he'd already sent his disciples off. He'd went up in the mountain to pray. And he says, But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Here we, we're on the sea again. The waves are there again. Jesus is not with them in this situation, at least physically. And look what it says. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He's Lord over the seas. He can walk upon the water. And guess what? He can grant the ability to anybody he wants to walk upon the water. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And you know what? It actually says that, that Peter walked. It says he went to him. And when he got there, he looked around at all the storm around him. And what did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. Our God is sovereign over these things. He is sovereign over nature and such. Well, let's look at another thing in nature. Let's just look at animals for a moment. In Numbers 22, 28 through 30, I, I, I guess in my mind I didn't think I was going to turn to all these, but I guess I will. I don't trust that I copied it down correctly. <clears throat> Look what it says here. I'll back up. This is when Balaam was, was, was traveling and he was riding on his donkey. And it says in verse 26, it says, The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place and where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now, this had happened a couple times already. Ba Balaam can't see this angel, but this donkey can. And every time he'd see it, this donkey would just lay down. And once Balaam struck his donkey... Listen to what it says. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, I just got to be honest. This is an odd passage. I don't know about you. Now, Balaam's going to continue the conversation here, but I think I'd be like, What? I mean, your donkey is speaking to you. Now, you may not believe that. I'm just one of those guys, I absolutely believe that. Because that's what God said he did. God said he opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey spoke and asked him a question. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand and I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life, all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way. God is sovereign over a donkey to the point that he could cause a donkey to open up his mouth and he could speak. It still just amazes me that Balaam wasn't more blown away than that, that his donkey is speaking to him. And Jonah... In the book of Jonah, we'll go back there, listen to this, in 117, now this is after Jonah had fled, he'd, the storm had got to Jonah, they, he says, look, you want to get rid of this storm, cast me into the sea, Jonah thought, hey, you know what, I'll kill myself, that way I will not go do God's will, 
But in 117, it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was, in the, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So even when Jonah tried to take his own life, God was sovereign over that and said, I've appointed a fish. I've commanded this fish to swallow you. He's going to preserve your life three days and three nights. It's going to be for a sign later on. And then in verse 210, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Do you think God is sovereign over the, the animal kingdom in our world? In Matthew 17, I'll not read this, and I'll just tell it. Some, some scribes or Pharisees and such were, were questioning Peter about, Does your master pay taxes? He's like, yeah, he pays taxes. So Jesus questions Peter about this. And, uh, you know, he, he tells him, he says, I'll tell you what, Peter. He says, I want you to go down and throw a hook in the water. He says, the fish that you bring up, it's going to have a piece of money in its mouth. And I'll tell you what, you take that money and you go pay the taxes for me and for you. Peter was a professional fisherman, but I don't think he was that good. I think God is sovereign over the animal kingdom. And I want to look at one over here in 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17, listen to this. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in, the, in Gilead said to Ahab, he said, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall neither... There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Now he says, the Lord says, depart from here, turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says, and you shall drink from the brook. And listen, he says, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and lived by the brook Cherish that is east of the Jordan. And it says, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. You see that, now listen, listen think about this. I don't know how many days, how many years this went on, but God simply tells Elijah, you go stay by this brook, and I've commanded these ravens, and in the morning they're going to bring you food to eat and in the evening they're going to bring you food to eat and they're going to do it the next day and the next night and so forth and in, and, in, and in this drought where there's no food there's no nothing he has a brook that he's able to drink from even in a drought listen folks you may be going through a dry time in your life but even in that driest of times god is able to cause you to drink from the water of life He's able to feed you in times when it looks like there's nothing to eat. God is sovereign over all. Now I want to read a little bit more in this one. Because it says, after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And it says, the word of the Lord came to him. And he tells him again, he says, now I want you to rise up. I want you to go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now listen to this. He says, Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. 
So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, uh, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. I, can you picture this? We're in a drought, folks. And this, this man of God shows up. And then the woman here, it doesn't seem like she understands that God has commanded her to take care of him. Now listen, listen to her response. He's asked her, Go, Would you bring me a little bit of water? Can you just like... Can you see her? I can almost picture it like this. I mean, like, are you kidding me? Like, like, really? Like, you think we got this to spare? And then she's going to be like, oh, yeah, can you bring me something to eat, too? It's like, who is this guy? I mean, I know it ain't like that, but that's kind of what goes through my mind. I'm crazy. And listen, she says to him, she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Here's what happened the day he shows up. She says, all we have is this and this. I'm going to make a fire. We're going to eat it. And then it's over. We're just going to wait until we die. And you're asking me to bring you some water and some food? Listen to this. Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. The gall. Go do exactly what you said, but that, listen, that ain't, that ain't like church dinner, is it? He should have said, everybody go first, right? No, he says, bring it to me first. And he says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Do you mean, do you mean kind of tell you what this is telling you? Church, you, listen. Listen to me. Whether you, If you're a believer, listen to me. If you're an unbeliever, listen to me. It's, like, it's, like, it's kind of like saying this. You've got this little bitty life. You've got this. What are you doing with your life, Paul? Well, I'm just doing this, and then I'm just going to die. Give it to me first, and it will not run out. Now listen to me. God is sovereign over the animals. God is sovereign over these things. The widow woman did just as Elijah said. And guess what? The flour never ran out. Every day she'd go back, there's this the same amount. Every day she went back to the oil, it's got the same amount. She just kept cooking and cooking and cooking until the drought was over and everything started crops started growing and all that again god is sovereign over every situation and I, you know what and here's the thing i don't think you really believe me in that yet i think some of you are sitting there saying well yeah in that situation <laughs> i don't know what you're going through but you've never been in this situation we read these stories like oh you know just read through it in a few verses we're talking about years of a drought. A drought to us is missing lunch. Our God is sovereign. I want to tell you something else. Now, God created angels, right? God did not create a devil. Lucifer fell and became... Satan. 
the adversary of God. Sometimes in the sovereignty of God, we get this idea, and I remember as a child, I can remember having this theology. I didn't go to church. I can remember a handful of times maybe with my mom, and all I remembered about that was basically like, shh, be quiet, be quiet, you know, over and over and over. I don't know if you've noticed, but I am not a quiet talker. She would tell me to be quiet. She'd tell me to whisper, and I'd say, I am whispering, and everybody could hear it. I don't remember much about church. But somewhere in that, I developed this theology that here was God, and here was the devil, and they're in a war, and it's just like, who's going to win? I mean, you hear all kinds of bad theology. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the tale about the two dogs in you fighting over, you know, whichever one gets on top is going to rule. I don't know where this stuff comes from, and I have no idea why it's preached from a pulpit. Okay, listen, Satan is a result of a created being that fell. He is an, a finite creature. He, while he is powerful, he is not all-powerful. While he is stronger than us, he is not stronger than God. And what you need to understand about Satan is this. In all of his uh, so-called strength, uh, he is simply, as Calvin put it, he is God's devil on a leash. Listen to what Job 1.6. I want I'm trying to demonstrate now is that God is sovereign over Satan. It says now in chapter 1 and verse 6 of Job, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, he says, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does, does Job fear God for no reason? He says, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? And you have blessed the work of his hands and, and his possessions have increased in the land. He said, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, now listen to this, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan could not even touch Job outside of God giving him permission to do it. He says, I can't even get to him. You've got a hedge about him. You put a hedge about anybody and, oh, yeah, they're going to serve you. But you touch him. Take down the hedge and do something. He'll curse you to your face. Everything he owns, it's in your hand. Everything he has, it's you know his possessions. But do not touch him. And he went out, and what did he do? Job lost all of his livestock and lost all of his sons and his daughters in one day. You think you've had a bad day? You've never had a day like that. Job's response was, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. I believe that God, that Job believed that God was sovereign. Some good lessons to learn in here. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, talks about sons of God presenting themselves, and Satan came again. 
God asked him again, where have you been? And then he asked, he asked Satan again in verse 3. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. Now keep in mind, at this point in his life, he's lost his children. He's lost everything. There's none like him. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. You see, what happened was he had lost everything, but he didn't curse God to his face. He praised and blessed God. And Satan answers the Lord and says, skin for skin, he says, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And listen, the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spares life. You can afflict him, but you can't take his life. Satan is nothing but God's little devil on a leash. Everything that Satan is working that we just, oh, we cringe and we go, oh, man, to say that, that is that is the demonic powers. It may be, <coughs> but it's only happening because of God's sovereign plan, the counsel according to his will. God has declared all these things to be that he would be glorified in the end of all this. Man, there's so many people, man. There has never been an election like the one that we just had. We still have a lot of people. I mean, no matter what, if Trump does anything, they're ready. I mean, they want to kill him. I mean, they're on, the old lady got fired at Some comedian, tell, I can tell you right now, she ain't funny. I've heard her before. Thanks. She's terrible. But she made some, like, a killed Trump thing. She got fired, like, oh, look what he's done to my life. I'm like, what? Okay, listen to me. Donald Trump may be crazy. He ain't no crazier than that last guy we had. I promise you that, okay? But you know what? God's going to take anybody like that, and he's going to use them exactly the way he wants to use them. You can just know that. Christian, if that's who you are, you should not sit here and fret. You should not worry. You should not be anxious about... Our country. You should pray for our country. You should pray for our leaders. You should do all those things that God told you to do. And know at the end of that that it is under the sovereign rule of God. Okay, listen to this. <clears throat> he, he wants to afflict him and all these things. But the, the, the point is this. Satan can't go beyond what God allows him to do. In, in, in Luke 22, 31 through 34, listen to what he says here. This is... Peter, man, poor guy. I'm a lot like Peter, man. I say I just spout things out without thinking so much. I got to really work on that. I don't know, man. At 51, I don't know if I got any chance. But, but listen to this. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, and this is in 22, Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Behold, Satan demanded to have you. He, he makes these demands that he has no power to accomplish. He says that he demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But here's Jesus. But I prayed for you. I, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Is that not exactly what Peter did? I mean, he denied him three times, right? And then Jesus comes in the Gospel of John, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I do. He won't even hardly look at him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. We see Peter go on, 
And he gets beat later on. He leaves there rejoicing that he's counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. But Satan demanded to have him. Jesus said, you ain't got no demands here. And he's always making intercession for us just like he did Peter. We have the, in Luke 8, 26 through 39, we have the, the, the man, demon-possessed man. Um, he was the guy that would hang out at the tombs. I mean, he was so strong he could break chains and all these things. <clears throat> but in verse 28 of chapter 8 in Luke, he says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out <clears throat> and fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And now listen to this. He says, For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many... For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, he says, what is your name? And he says, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Now, there's many demons possessing this man. But these many demons look at this one son of God and said, do not torment me. Don't, you know, don't punish me. And they begged him not. And they begged him not to command that they depart into the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission, and they went down a hill and off a cliff. And Jesus is sovereign over Satan, and he's sovereign over demons. There's going to come a day in Revelation 20 and verse 10, it says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and they and he, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's so-called power in this world is going to come to an absolute end. There is no competition between God and Satan, folks. It does not matter that it looks like the whole world may be controlled by Satan. I will tell you this, that God is in control. One guy said this, he said, Satan is still alive and well, and that's in quotations on planet Earth, but he is bound with a rope that can be lengthened or shortened. He cannot do that which God does not permit him to do, and even his evil schemes will finally be used by the sovereign God to achieve his ultimate good. God is sovereign over nations. This is this is the second point. God is sovereign over nations. In Second Chronicles verse or chapter twenty, verse six, it says this. It says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. I would even say this, you could put all the nations together to war against God and they're nothing before God. I'm going to go briefly through just, I want to look just, when I, when I came across this I thought, wow, we want to look at a nation, listen to this, these are the ten plagues that happened to Egypt, okay? 
Now, you look at these plagues, and they look kind of random. You know, we, we, we have water turned to blood. We have frogs, gnats, flies, you know, things like that. Every one of these plagues was in dealing with gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Okay? So they're not just these random things like God says, hey, I think I'll get some flies and put over there. No, there was a reason behind that. But I want to show you something. God... Is sovereign. He turned water to blood. And that's in Exodus 7.20. Listen, the Egyptians worshipped the, worshiped a god named Happy. Hapi. It's H-A-P-I. And this god was the god that they worshipped that was the god of the annual flooding of the, of the Nile River. And what would happen is when this river would flood... A lot of silt would come in, and it would give a lot of fertility to the banks of the Nile. And what would happen is they could grow really good, lush crops. And so they said this was this god, Hapi. I don't have what all of them did, but I have a couple. And it just kind of demonstrates what they were doing. But listen to this. In 720, it says, And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh. And in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And the water in the Nile turned into blood. God, he's, 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 he's sovereign over nature. He can, he can take water and he can turn it into blood. And what it was symbolizing was death. This was a goddess also of fertility and such. The second one that was going to happen was this. God was going to bring frogs all over the land. Now, this was also a goddess. Of, uh, this was the goddess of fertility. I, I apologize. That other one wasn't. But the Egyptians worshipped this goddess named Hequet. She was the goddess of fertility, and she, her, she was represented in the form of a frog. It was illegal in Egypt to kill the frogs. When you'd hear them croaking, it was, like, it, was a, it was like a celebration that, you know, fertility was coming, all this prosperous things. So God says, you want to worship frogs? I'll give you frogs. This is what he says. He says, the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come upon your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and to the houses of your servants and your people and your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come upon you and on your people and on all your servants. You want to worship a frog? Get some. That's what he's saying. I mean, and then they, he takes them all out and they die and they just stink. I mean, it's, can, you, can you walk by dead animals? Can you imagine millions of them? You see, God's sovereign over all these nations. He's sovereign over these false little g-gods that they want to serve. The third one was gnats. God, without warning, he says, Aaron stretched out his hand and with the staff, and he struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. I don't know if you've ever been by a river early in the morning. You'd be out working six in the morning in the summertime. It will drive you insane. They'll just like, they're just all over you. I remember doing pipeline when I was young. And uh, I was out there, and a guy told me, he said, stand over here and wait for something. You know, I'm just out there. And gnats are just like this. If, you, if it had been back in the days of YouTube, it would have, it would have been a big hit thing. I would just start screaming and just run and like this, and I'd stop, and they'd be like, Meh. I could not get away. It, it, it took till the sun and it got hot for them things to leave me alone. I, was, I thought I was going to lose my mind. God brings gnats out like dust of the, of the air. I mean, it's just like, well, he brings it out of the dust, actually. 
The fourth one was this, flies. God brings flies all into Egypt. God is sovereign over that. Then in the, the fifth one, in verse, or chapter 9, verse 6, the death of, of the livestock. In six, he brings boils upon the people. In the seventh one, in 9.23, he brings hell on Egypt. In the eighth plague was locusts. God used locusts to devour them. In, in the ninth one was darkness. God took a darkness and he put all in Egypt. He said they, they didn't even move. It was so dark. I, I used to work underground. I've never, you've never seen dark like that unless you go in a, in a mine or in a cave. And they'll even do this. Like, everybody turn your lights off. And I mean, if somebody spun you in a circle, you would have no earthly idea which way you can't, you can't, I mean, you can't imagine darkness like that. It was like that in Egypt. God was demonstrating that I am God. And all of those had these gods until you get to the tenth one. That was the death of the firstborn. And there was no God that they worshipped on that one. And God took the firstborn of every person or animal, everything in Egypt. But the children of Israel, if they had the blood... Strike the door the, over the door and on the side post, the death angel passed over. And yes, I know it doesn't say death angel. Romans nine seventeen says this: For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God is sovereign over the nations of the earth. I want you to know that in all of the turmoil that America is in, God is sovereign over America. God is sovereign over the events that are happening in England. God is sovereign over North Korea. He's sovereign over China. All of the affairs that are taking place, do you believe this? Listen, if God's not sovereign, you have no assurance. You have no assurance of anything. If you will, turn your Bibles to Daniel now, chapter 4. I'm going to try to be brief. It's going to be tough. Okay. Story of Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4, it's probably one of the greatest stories dealing with the sovereignty of God, dealing with a king, dealing with a kingdom. It starts off like this in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, he says, peace be multiplied to you. Now listen to me. He's going to give testimony here of what, why, what he's saying and his praise to God. But he says, I want all people, all nations, and all languages that dwell on the earth. He says, I want peace to be multiplied to you. And then he says, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Hey, church, listen to me. I hope you're still with me in this. I really do. I, just hang on. I'll be through in about, hopefully, maybe ten minutes. Who knows? Listen to what he says. That's his declaration of the praise of God, and then he's going to give why. 
He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw in a dream that made me afraid as I lay in my bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Now, I'm going to skip down for a little bit. And he's, he's going to tell these wise men the dream. And he said this in verse 10. He says, The visions of my head as I lay in, in my bed were these. He said, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and, it, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it was, in, and it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed. And behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. He says, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. He says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. You want to know why Trump's in office? A lot of people say, what a low down scumbag. Well, God gives it to whom he will. So let me tell you something. If you're complaining about him, you're complaining about the decision of God. And for that, you need to repent. Okay? And so Nebuchadnezzar has this king, and none of his wise men were able to interpret it. So he calls in Daniel. And he says, Daniel, I want you to interpret this dream. Listen to what it says. It says in Daniel, this is verse 19, whose name was Belteshazzar. That's what Nebuchadnezzar named him. He said he was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered, and he says, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. He says, Belteshazzar, he says, Belteshazzar answered and says, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. I want to point out something in this, in God's sovereignty. In God's sovereignty... Daniel had went into captivity, okay? And he's under a, a horrible ruler, okay? But in that, he did what God says. He honored the rulers where God had sent him. He says, O king, pray that this would be for your enemies and not for you. He don't want to tell him what the dream's going to tell him. He says, the tree that you saw, which grew and grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. 
He said, whose leaves were beautiful and his fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under the, which the beasts of the field found shade, and, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. He said, it's you, O king, who've grown and have become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. And in, in, he says, in the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let the, his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is, a, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among the men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. Now listen, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it, to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. And then he says this. Listen, at the end of this interpretation, Daniel pleads with him. He says, therefore, O king, he says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. You've got to understand, something. to give a king counsel, that could be a death sentence. But he's saying he's... He actually cares for the guy. He says, King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now listen to this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. One year later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this... Great Babylon, listen, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. And while these words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven out into the fields. And it said, He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. You think he fell in all of his royal apparel and all of his everything he had to beautify himself and now he looks like some freak out there crawling around on his hands and knees eating grass like an ox. His hair had grown where he's just some hairy looking something. His fingernails grown they look like bird's claws. I know I probably shouldn't say this again but I, every time I read this story I just picture people pulling into town and looking out there what in the world is that? Oh, that's our king. He's lost his mind. And then listen to this. At the end of the days, this is now, and this is him speaking now, he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, which means it endures forever and for all times. All the inhabitants of the earth are as accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me and the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Do you think that God is sovereign over these nations? He absolutely is. And I'll tell you this, God is sovereign over you. You can either bow your knee to that or he said those who walk in pride he is able to quickly humble. You want freedom of choice? Well, there it is. You can either submit, you can either bow the knee and say what comes is of the hand of the Lord and praise and glory and honor be to him that his name may be proclaimed forever. He's just, he's right, he's perfect, he's holy. It is amazing to me how we shake our fist at God, we question, we accuse all these things of God, and we don't know anything. We couldn't fill a thimble with our knowledge compared to the all-knowing God. Everything that we know only comes from God. We could go and we could read about Sennacherib having... Uh, Jerusalem camped all around it and asking the question, who is your God that will deliver you out of my hand? I've destroyed all these nations and they prayed to their gods. Who is your God? And in one night, God kills 185,000 with one angel. Sinatra goes back home and worships his gods. And while he's worshiping his gods, his two sons kill him. We could talk about God's sovereignty over him. We could talk about Cyrus, who was prophesied by name. Several years before he came into power, that God would use his servant Cyrus to go rebuild his temple. Cyrus was a pagan king who had the children of Israel in bondage, and that's exactly what he did. We could talk about Esther. Esther, she wasn't a king. She was a Jewish lady, a beautiful Jewish girl, won a beauty pageant. Was it King Artaxerxes? His wife didn't show up, and he was going to show her off to all his friends, and she refused to come, so he kills her. So he's like, i got to get a wife. He has a beauty pageant. Esther wins it. I want to tell you something. I want you to think about this. We have all these rules, especially in reform camps. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You shouldn't send your kids here. You should take them, blah, 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 blah. And if you're not doing those, you just aren't very holy. Well, I'm going to tell you this. We should do the best we can in every situation. We should try to do that. But when it all falls apart and it looks like that even though we, we could tell God, we could explain to God, this is why I should do this, God, and this is the way this should be, and this just doesn't work for us, God. You can understand that. And God's sovereign plan 
He's going to take you through things that probably don't fit your life. He's going to bring people into your life that probably don't jive with you. They don't fit in your lifestyle. Esther was put in a place that on a certain time God was going to use her to speak for her people that after they had there had been an execution date set on the Jews and everybody could kill Jews, she comes in and God uses Esther, the queen, to speak on behalf of her people and work the counsel and the will of God. And all of us would look at that and go, oh, can you believe she's married to that guy? I know she was married to but she should have refused. You don't know in detail what God's sovereign plan is. Whether it's dealing with a spouse, whether it's dealing with children, whether it's dealing with family, dealing with your church, God is, listen, I'm going to say this and I shouldn't have to, God is absolutely sovereign over all the affairs of men. So before you get furious and angry and you can give all the reasons why and all the reasons why not, you better back up and you better take a look at this from an outside view saying, what is God working here? Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. I want to ask you something, church. Has God brought something into your life lately that you don't like? Yep. He's actually sitting here with us today. Not that we don't like him. We just don't like the way it's turned out. Do you know how hard it was to confess to God that I'm angry with you because you didn't give me him to be mine? I said, God, we raised him. We're the ones that really care. He has a mom and a dad here. We're stable. Now, I know you might be questioning that. It's all compared relative, you know. We're stable, comparatively speaking. I'm praying, and I have to say I'm angry with you because I asked, and you told me no. And God says, you don't know all the plans I have for him. You don't know all the plans that I'm working right now. And still yet, I didn't like it. What about your life? What's God doing in your life that you don't like right now? Are we back to where... We all salute the sovereignty of God. Yes, I believe in it. And I'll tell you just how sovereign he is. God can touch this and this and this, but I'm not going to let him touch that. Romans 8:28. We know that for those who love God... All things work together. Now, in your Bible, if you need to, circle all. Circle it. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. A 
Okay, well, I want you to understand something. We do not love sin. We do not embrace sin. Okay? We don't do that. We don't come to the mind that, well, God's so sovereign, and hey, amen, God, you're using this sin in my life right now, and I'm going to keep doing it until you change it. That is bad theology. That's bad learning. That would be bad teaching. We hate sin. We hate things that God hates. But as God is doing the refining process, we recognize that even in God's sovereignty, he even uses the sin in our life even to his glory. But do not, do not make the mistake and say that, well, nothing I can do about it is God's will. So where are you at, church? William Booth the starter of the Salvation Army, the true Salvation Army, not this stuff you see nowadays. No, I'm not saying they don't try to do good, but doctrinally they're a mess. They're just a mess. Sometimes I want to stop and just start talking to them, you know. Maybe I will. William Booth says this, The greatness of man's power is the measure of his surrender. You're either going to submit under the sovereign hand of God or God is going to quickly humble you. It's, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? It's, it's a terrible thing when we find out that we really aren't in control, isn't it? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like it today. There's days I'm good with it and there's days I don't like it. And it's in those days that I see that I got room to grow. But I want you to know this. Whether we're dealing with things that God created, not only did God create time, not only did God create the heavens and the earth, not only did God create all of the living things, the planets and all that, not only that, but God is at the present. He is sustaining every bit of it. You, you're only being sustained because God is sovereign. Just meditate on this today. Just listen, ask this question. How sovereign do I think he is? Now, that's not even a real question. No, God is sovereign. Am I going to submit to that? Listen, if you're a believer, you should rest. You should rejoice that no matter what happens, God is in control. If you're an unbeliever, and you got that thing like, well, if you don't believe in God, none of this matters to me. Yeah, <laughs> think what you want. God's in control. You can, you, can, you can think you're living the life. You can whatever. I'll tell you this. You don't even know life. And if you're honest with yourself, there's something inside you that's been gnawing at you. You're miserable. Until you bow your knee to Jesus Christ. You say, well, Ron, you don't know. You don't know all I've done. There's no way God would accept me now. Well, just repent of that sin, too. That's just called pride. You're saying, my, my sin is so big now that it's, it's, it's too big for God's grace. I'll tell you this. God has never turned away anybody who has repented and come to him in faith believing. Bow your knee to Christ. 
fall upon him. Fall upon his mercy. Let God robe you in the righteousness of Christ. Give him your sins. Quit trying to carry that burden. Quit trying to clean yourself up so that you can come to Christ. Because next time we're going to get into God is sovereign over salvation. Brad, if you guys would come. My prayer is for each of you today. And even as I'm preaching this message, it may preach well, but I'm still learning every day that God is sovereign. I'm still dealing with the things I'm dealing with. I pray that God would bless each of you.